Hi, I'm Barbara O'Brien. I'm an animal trainer and photographer, and I'd like to welcome you to The Empathetic Trainer. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. <laughs> Ian Dunbar. Welcome to The Empathetic Trainer. We are so grateful that you're going to take the time with us today. Um, I think from reading your book, the new book that's coming out, um, Barking Up the Right Tree, which everybody who loves dogs and pretty much any animal should go out and get because dogs are going to be better for it. I mean, this, if, if people take the time, they read your book, understand the concepts, if they're not already doing some of these things, it's only going to improve your dog's life, which of course will improve your life. So dogs are going to be better for it. And we want to thank you for doing this for the dogs in the world. I learned about you maybe 20, maybe 10 or 15 years ago through uh, Denise Nord, who has beagles. Oh, yeah, you know? lovely person. And uh, she- Totally uh, beagle. Yeah, and she actually trains beagles, which, you know, we bow down because <laughs> beagles have an, uh, of course I'm being biased, but beagles are beagles and they do what beagles do. And paying attention to humans and listening to commands, not necessarily what beagles want to do. Uh, so she was amazing. And uh, I started out with dogs and 50 years ago now. So yeah. Um, and that was way different. As you recall, choke chains, uh, adversion, you know, be the boss. Uh, da, 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 da. And I it never felt right. And when I watched somebody hang a dog up to choke off his air, I was like this, because they were uh, two dogs are fighting and they hung the dog up. How is he going to learn from that? I was start trying to study and learn different approaches. And that's when um, I learned about you. And uh, you are the grandfather of um, the methods of training where we do lure training, but not all completely dependent where it becomes a bribe and there's a fine line. So get all that off my chest because I just was so excited to have you here. I'd like to read a quick little introduction. Uh, Dr. Ian Dunbar is a veterinarian, animal behaviorist, dog trainer, and writer. He uses a unique off-leash training technique that involves lure reward training. He started the Serious Puppy Training, which was the first off-leash puppy training class. Ian has written several books about dog training, and his newest book is called Barking Up the Right Tree. So everyone's got a, I've got a, an advanced copy of the book and read it and marked it all up. <laughs> How'd you get an advanced copy? Uh, Jamie sent it to me. It's just a document oh. you know i mean i had to like print 400 pages something like that because i know oh, it was a pdf yeah, yeah. um but it was yeah, great I, I actually um jamie got the very first copy ever two days ago and i thought how come you've got a copy oh like no i printed I it out so i could read it yeah. because i wanted well to you know i i guess you know when you read the book you'll realize that um this goes back you know, well before I was born, I mean, to give the, your listeners, uh, viewers, I guess, um, a, a history, my great grandfather, I grew up on a farm mm -hmm. and my great grandfather was a farm lad and he, he worked hard and ended up owning four farms. Anyway, one year he won a straight line plowing contest with his horse mm -hmm. and no brains. So he was directing the horse just by um, verbal cues and praising it. So that's what I grew up with. And, and throughout the book, I keep echoing uh, what I learned from my grandpa and my dad, um, not just the way they trained their, their gun dogs and working dogs, mm -hmm. but also the, the cows, the pigs, the sheep, the chickens. 
So when I was five, uh, I had to live at the farm because my dad fell off the roof and broke his skull. I shouldn't laugh at that, but he, he lived through it. Um, he landed on two upturned buckets, metal buckets, and crushed them with his head. Oh. Saved his life. So I'm at the farm and they're trying to entertain me. So I became, uh, uh, I developed a recall on 80 cows and 200 chickens when I was five. So I grew up with this way and I was introduced to the unleashed sort of military police model and later to become the obedience competition unleash, let's do repetitive obedience drills much later. And I actually had the same um, reaction as you did, which was what on earth are they going to learn from this? Because always I, I ask people, what are you trying to teach? And, and has the dog learned it yet? <laughs> yes. Well done. No. Then why are you still doing this if you already proved it doesn't work well? So I always evaluate different training techniques, whether um, reward-based um, or aversive punishment-based, um, on do they work and how well do they work. Uh, being a behaviorist, I, I measure it precisely. And I come up with a percentage of response reliability percentage of, say, the word sit in any scenario, mm -hmm. in the kitchen, before dinner, in your bedroom, in the living room, in your garden, on the sidewalk or in the dog park. And I'll say, well, your dog's running at 3% reliability in the dog park. Don't you want to train it? And I do that with the reward training techniques, too, because we're nowhere near using rewards to full advantage. You know, if you are mentioning beagles, and, and that actually for a long time was my favorite breed. And in my first book, they're all beagle pictures and um, social behavior, sexual behavior, even training, which I knew very little about. But if you want to train a beagle, you have to just, it's just one exercise. You train him to come, which means come, sit, stay, watch. Mm -hmm. Again, to look at you, which means his nose is lifted from the ground. And as a reward, you say, go sniff. But what the beagle doesn't know is you've hidden a couple of really attractive odors, like uh, a bit of cat poop, <laughs> uh, a bit of steak. So the beagle's sniffing over here and he's sniffing worms, you know, casts and all that. I say, no, over here, go sniff go sniff. And then he goes, wow, yeah. the owner knows better than me. Um, I, next time they say, come, I'm going to come sit, watch and say, tell me, tell me, where are the sniffs? So the only reward you can use in training, obviously, is go sniff. Nothing else is going to work because you're working with the biggest reward. So we start from there and then we make it even more powerful. So these are the secrets of the book, wow. how to come up with more powerful rewards, how to use them more effectively, and how, when administered by people, aversive punishment simply doesn't work. No. Uh, it's not a quick fix. It's neither quick, it's very involved, and it's not a fix, as evidenced by continued use. So now we flash back to those unleashed classes, and they jerk the dog hour after hour, week after week, walk after walk. When are you going to learn? The dog is not learning from this leash correction. It ain't a correction. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's just to set the, the stage uh, for people. 
everyone thinks I'm an academic, which I am. I, I'm, I'm a behaviorist, so I, am abs I observe behavior and there's no question about it. I, I don't ask the questions like, um, why did the dog do that? My wife used to do that. She's a cognitive psychologist, and as you'll see in the book, she had tremendous input by asking very simple questions like, have you taught Omaha to do that? Omaha being or, the dog you, know, you refer to. Or you must, the question is, let's say a dog is upset, he's fearful, what do you do? Um, and I say, well, we classically condition we try and get rid of the fear, but also we operantly condition. We, we tell the dog to sit and stay. Why telling a dog what to do will really help it deal with fears. Mm -hmm. And Mimi would always dictate, um, you must always see it from the dog's point of view, and you must always consider how the dog is feeling, although you'll never know any more than we do with people. I mean, a, a person, you know, you meet behind a counter who's serving you is it's not very happy today and maybe rude to you. We mm -hmm. don't know what they're thinking. Maybe their dad died that morning. Mm -hmm. So we never know what people are thinking. So we never actually know what dogs are thinking, but we know what they do. And then we can make an assumption that if they don't come when called, if they back off, if they hunker down, if they're shaking, if their paws are sweating, they're probably stressed. So in, as well as training it what we want it to do, we must heavily classically condition to deal with the underlying sort of fear and anxiety problems. So I was lucky with the people around me all the oh, time, sure. you know, uh, farmers, and then um, Mimi, a cognitive psychologist. No, this is this is really true. And um, luckily for the horse world, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with, you know, I'm sure you are familiar with horses, but that's changing too. All the adversive punishment methods and um, a lot of force without understanding is more and more people are starting to learn that understanding and having empathy for what the horse is thinking and feeling and why is he anxious? Because he can't learn when he's anxious and afraid and getting him to learn to sit, regulate himself by learning his calming singles, learning how to uh, how our intention and our emotion affects the horse, and that's it's slowly growing uh, at, for the better for horses, because everything going slow is going fast, just like you said. You know, um, we, you're able to to work with the horse so he can regulate himself, and I'm sure it's then it's going to be similar with the dogs with anxiety. If you can help them regulate, well, it's it's similar and it's different according to whether the animal is um, altrical or precocious. So basically, how long does it take to socialize the animal? So with dogs, we have a long time, up to three months. But the biggest problem in dogs at the moment is no one is socializing young animals. They're not handling neonates. They're not introducing them to a hundred unfamiliar people in the breeding kennel or a hundred unfamiliar exactly. people the first month at home. We then go back to horses, which are precocious. Um, you've got 48 hours to socialize a horse. Well, there's good news, bad news. The good news is it takes you no time at all to prevent, for good, any horse fear or anxiety. The bad news is you've got 48 hours to do it. 
and no, if you're talking about a bit of horse now that's you know worth six figures, no one's going in uh, the, the stable when the mares fold. You know, the owner and the stable lad. You know, you expose it to everything, and you in twenty in forty eight hours, and then that animal. And of course, um, uh, oh, not Bill Miller. I went to college with Bill Miller, Bob Miller. Robert Miller, oh, uh, yeah, he's Robert? actually on my yeah, veterinary ski team. And um, <laughs> now that's a connection because he's like, yeah, he's the also veterinary cartoonist. And, and, you know, he sort of pioneered this in horses. But way before that, of course, we have, um, I don't know how to pronounce this word, nidificus. Uh, anyway, it's geese, you know, animals that bond within seconds mm -hmm. of being born or hatched. So we all know this from Conrad Lorenz. You've got 30 minutes to socialize and bond with this little gosling. And then it's done for life. The thing will follow you everywhere to the car, to the bathroom, you know, around your property. So that's a highly precocious, you know, group of animals. But I find it very sad in horses and in dogs and horses are highly precocious. No one does it. I mean, flacking white sheets, banging on cans, dropping stuff, making noise, playing the radio, handling it all over, tapping on its hoof, you know, putting a hood over its head mm -hmm. um, and passing a stomach tube. Robert Miller used to do too, to these baby foals. And then as a stallion, you say, hello again. He comes up and says, hi, Zaya, and lowers his head saying, I'm your buddy. Yeah, he's not up here like, you know, doing all the, you know, hey, this is when right, sometimes yeah. it's like someone yeah. came up to me once and said, I got a problem with my dog, Dr. Dunbar. And I said, oh, what's that? And he says, it barks. And I said, oh, no, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> of all the dogs you could have got, you pick one that barks. You know, I tell the story in my book. But again... How many horses does it take for horsey people to realize this is born and designed to be a flighty animal? That exactly, yeah. you should let well, the horse I, be Well, I would say right. not. Understand why? Because he is then horse. you can't. You've got to take that flightiness out of it, as you've got to take fearfulness out of a right. dog, and it will be a flighty animal. All things being equal. If you just let it grow up as a horse in vacuo around no people uh, with horses or what have you, mm -hmm. then it will get not just, it'll get more flighty as it grows older. This is um, developmentally very sound in the wild that animals, whether, yeah, they are programmed right. to socialize with who's around them when they're very young, less than 48 hours in horses, right. less than three months in dogs. But when they now get away from the herd, horses, or come out of the den, dogs, they are programmed to avoid any animal that's unfamiliar. So all we have to do is teach them, we are the familiar ones. We're all around you with their funny and sometimes scary human ways when you're very young. And we hit it with them then when they're, they're only minor stressed. I mean, you do get little blips of cholesterol. But what you do if you get if you don't do this in adulthood, you get adrenal emptying surges of cholesterol, cortisone, uh, adrenaline to innocuous stimuli like you blew your nose 
or you fell down or there was a loud mm -hmm. noise. But, so that's it, basically the, the process up. of um, early socialization. It's reprogramming uh, the, the brain of the animal to develop in a way to now embrace people and thoroughly enjoy their company and, and contact. If, I have a question then. Is it ever too late in a sense with dogs? Because we saw during COVID, um, people got dogs. Great, you know, they were lonely, they got dogs. But the poor dogs, because of COVID, didn't get socialized in, in a way near as much or in a way that they should. There's this whole generation that we run across when people try to use the, want to use their dogs as animal actors and we're gonna meet them and evaluate, see if they wanna be a good animal actor or enjoy it. The dog cannot handle new yeah. people, new environment. I mean, it's, is it too late for those people? Because you know they, they couldn't or however, you know, they, COVID made it hard for people to get together. So it would be hard to socialize a hundred people over time you know, um, to see a puppy like It's not too late. It's just that prevention is diabolically <laughs> falling off a log easy. Rehabilitating an adult dog that now has developed fears and anxieties is going to take longer. However, two things taught me that no, we can change even quicker than I thought. And COVID in dogs, I worked with a number of dogs during COVID and then as we opened up, that I would have said, you, you won't be able to take this dog anywhere. He's, he's afraid of his own shadow, let alone other people. I mean, dogs yeah. and I mean, other dogs and unfamiliar people or loud noises. And it started with one dog called Cash. And um, Gina and I were taking a COVID weekend in Laguna Beach, you know, and Cash um, was hopefully going to be an assistance dog, but no way. He came from the breeders up uh, way up north where you are, but farther away from any any place to buy milk. And he was just scared of he came down <laughs> to the Bay Area and then to San Diego and it was too much for him. Anyway, so we're at Laguna, Gina was sick. And so I said, you stay in bed. I'll take Cash out. <clears throat> so I walked him where it was quiet. I sat on the beachhead. There was a path there. And I sat there for four hours with his dinner in a bag. Hmm. And every time a person walked by, I gave him three bits of kibble. Every time a person and a dog, I gave him five bits. I gave him a running commentary all the time, ah. praising him, reassuring him. But because I'm reassuring him when he's acting scared, I would praise him more as training went on when he's no longer acting scared. I'm still reassured. You see, people are scared to reassure mm -hmm. a scared animal because they think they'll unintentionally um, reinforce wimpy behavior. Whereas again, Mimi would say, of course mm -hmm. you have to reassure an animal if it's scared. Well, right, right. If you had a child that was frightened, would you like not reassure you would, the child? But then what you it, would do it, you know, as why, soon right. as the crying stops, you then go into jolly routine and say, wow, you are so brave. Exactly. And so it's, we, we can classically condition and operate condition at the same time, which means we're meant to be getting the dog to associate uh, scary stimuli with food, if you like, or praise or, or petting. Mm -hmm. um, but if they're acting scared, 
to prevent them from encouraging, because a lot of dogs will act scared because they know the owner will pick them up, hug them and pet them. So now we wait until the scared behavior stops. See, they're no longer feeling scared because of the classical conditioning. And once they start the lunging, the mm -hmm. barking or the trembling or the moving away, then we heavily praise them. And that's the bit that people miss. It's like getting a puppy to sleep on his own for his first night in his new home. He's petrified. You've taken him from mum and his litter mates. Mm -hmm. And so I stay up with them uh, until they fall asleep. And I've then woken them up half a dozen times. So once they fall asleep, I don't leave. I then praise them more. I sing mm -hmm. to them. I recite nonsense poetry. I hum. But then I wake them up and say, hey, hey, you're not falling asleep on me. I'm still up here. You know, it's 2 a.m. I've been up here for three hours. And then yeah. I say, okay, settle down and go to sleep. You're falling. So, And I find by the sixth time I wake them up, they're like, what, what do you want? I say, oh, you're tired. Okay, settle down, go to, and I make them stand up too. So it's wake up and stand up. Then I say, mm. settle down, go to sleep. Sure. And so six trials because <laughs> sure. I stayed on when the fear had gone and the praise and the tiredness is taking over. The next day, oh, I seldom stay up with them 20 minutes. And then they lie down and go to sleep. The third day, wow. I can't even remember the last dog I did that with. It seldom happens. And so I, I'm lucky. Yeah. I, I, you see, I do so night they, work. they've had a pretty stress-free. Gina would get up and do early morning work. And so even when I leave them at, say, 1, 2, 3 a.m., I just leave the room they're in and sleep on a couch outside the door so that if they go, I say, it's okay. I'm still here, silly Billy. Now settle down, go to sleep. And mm. if they do, I praise. See, so many people, they're like a baby putting it to sleep or a puppy when it's, they shh, that tiptoe. I never tiptoe around. Once they eventually caught fall asleep, yeah, no. I say, yeah. you're a good boy. You sleeping now? Well done, Jamie. You know, well done, Omaha. Good. That's right. And they can hear that. I, it's one of my earliest memories of hearing my parents sleep as I was being in the back of the car being driven and I could hear the words mm -hmm. and they were so comforting, you know, but I was still asleep. Yeah. I think we've all so, experienced yeah, We that. must, I think mm -hmm. this to me is it's all about eliminating the development of natural fears. These are naturally programmed in for a horse to be flighty of anything of a lion, alone a person, mm -hmm. Um, of yeah. dogs to be scared of unfamiliar people, unfamiliar dogs. We must prevent that because it is so easy. It's so much fun. You have a party, you know, for horse. This is a 24-hour party through the night. And it's never going to develop this flightiness if you've got 40 or 50 people in the stable and they're all coming up and petting it, you know, and... <clears throat> Maybe give me a little bottle to suckle on. Wow. And when they, <coughs> excuse me, or for puppies, hand feeding loads and loads and loads of pieces of kibble, not treats, obviously, because uh, they're so commercial treats, it would, it would mm. end up with a liver like a goose. So you feed its normal kibble, but as classical conditioning rewards. And I do it 
I love dogs. Yeah, I love animals. But I actually do it for the people. What, uh, excuse me a second, I'm going to cough. Yeah. <coughs> mm -hmm. <coughs> Coffee is not the thing for a cough. Should have had water here. But I get so upset well, we when I see... I was just rounding them up this morning. I got two people with reactive dogs. I'm on a walking street because it's so pretty. And we're going to film them this week mm -hmm. being reactive. And then I'll get them together as a group. And they will become a core social group of dogs that love each other. That's the process. But still walked mm -hmm. on leash for okay. safety. But one by one, you know, they would join the group once we've taken the reactivity out of them. Because it's the owners. They, I mean, how can you enjoy a dog that's going to go off if it sees a big dog in the distance or a little yappy dog in the distance? And, you know, with horses, it's you're going to acknowledge you have a flighty animal. There's no socialization and you're going to get on its back. You are crazy. No, you are crazy. <laughs> it's why I loved it when you said you got Morgan. I thought, That's good. Yeah, my kind of horse, or you know, or walking horses. Well, they're not. You don't fall very far. I yeah, mean, they're only fourteen hands, so I don't have to fall very far. But no, you're right. Uh, everything you're. I mean, obviously, this just amazing to hear hear what you think about horses, because um, there's different points of view, and so this is really interesting. Because some people are uh, like, you can't. Well, how can I put it in words? The imprinting, some like that's controversial. The imprinting that Dr. Miller talks about, it's controversial with some people, like, which makes no sense. I mean, I what would, you're saying to well, me If makes I sense. heard so, someone say something yeah. like that, um, which from all I know about animal behavior, I consider it as a very stupid, dangerous, and cruel comment. Uh, if I were in a bar now, I wouldn't yeah, stop talking no, to this person until I've convinced them. Here's the deal. In two days, you can prevent most of horses' problems. What is your objection? Or would you rather this horse be flighty, anxious, and stressed for the rest of its life because every day it has to meet its biggest nightmare, which is you and other humans? No, I'm being serious. Huh. I, I'm not, not yeah. to socialize. No, I, it's I'm downright listening, cruel. Listening, yeah. And it's the cruelest thing to do to any animal and then insist it lives around humans. So if we go to like the whole... No, I agree. Um, I, I, years back, I used to know the Pirellis, <laughs> and I would often give a little doggy lecture at their you know, international workshops and courses and things. And I remember the whole natural horsemanship thing and the horse whisperers would always talk about there's a big distance between horses and dogs because the horse is prey, and the dog is a predator. I say, not when it comes to training them at all. Yeah. Exactly. I'm in agreement with you there because the natural horsemanship thing saying we're the alpha and they think we're a predator. Da, da. You know, he does not think you're a cougar. No. I'm yeah. sorry. The horse knows you're human. He knows you're not a cougar. That's ridiculous. Um, so it's moving away from that. So, you know, that, that constant moving their feet, moving their feet, which means they can't even engage their brain because they can't calm down. You just... Uh, that's more like there's there's a lot yeah, going I, I on. I love and I'm it happy that it's it. hands um, off, really... and we're going to train this horse to um, come and lie down, go to his stable or go to his horse box, hands off. But when 
people, um, how shall I put it? When professionals get involved in their species and their breed or the, an animal's working ability, they forget the basic principles of training that behavior is changed by its consequences and they would primarily be rewards or punishments. And as you've understood from my book now, um, the best type of punishment, which is not defined by its nature. You see, people think a punishment is unpleasant or nasty. It doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And in, in about 60% of the scientific definitions of punishment, it just says a punishment is a stimulus that so punishment is defined by its effect on behavior that the punishment reduces the frequency of the previous behavior the targeted behavior you want to get rid of such that it is less likely to occur in the future and that's how we know that aversive exactly. punishment isn't working because they're still doing it the dog is still wearing a specialized metal collar or the horse a metal bit or, or, mm -hmm. or what have you, or the elephant trainer has a bill hook, you know, to hook it with. Um, right, yeah. But what we use is a non-aversive punishment. And people think, what? How can that work? Well, 90% of the time right. with dogs, I just say, Rover, sit. End of problem. What was he doing? Well, he was lunging on leash. It's not anymore. He's chasing his tail, chasing the cat. He was running out the front door. He was jumping up. Sit. So if you have taught your dog to sit, just one command, you can now stop, inhibit, eliminate all of those because they're mutually exclusive. And so are we going to focus on misbehaviors and give the dog grief or the horse grief? Everyone does that. That's human nature. Or are we going to focus on the good behaviors and say, thank you? I was watching videos last night exactly. and it was a rotty who was a little out of control in the off-leash puppy two because he hadn't had much off-leash experience aside from going through puppy one. So he's gone through puppy one, so I know his teeth are safe. If he gets into an argument or he's scared, it'll be wah, 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 but there's going to be no puncture. So I'm doing a lot of work with him. And at one point, I start because he keeps stealing every other dog's stuffed animals. And at one point he stole a dog's bed while the dog was lying on it and ripped it in the air and ran off, you know, but I've now found a more manageable stuffed toy and I'm playing tug with him. And that's, you know, off, take it, tug, 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 good dog. And thank you. Well, to start with, I say, thank you. And he just grits his teeth and it took about three to five seconds to get it out of his mouth. But after a few repetitions, I say, off, oh, take it, tug, good boy. Who's a good boy? And thank you. And he sits and I hold the tug up here and he looks at me and he lies down and he sits up and he looks at me again. He's training me now. He wants me to right. say, take it again. But he's throwing all these behaviors at me and everyone he does, I say, a good boy, that's good. But no, 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 you, what I actually want yeah. now is to sit and stay. Good dog, there's a good boy, you know, and we don't pay attention to all the good behaviors. And the number one good behavior in my book is one that's not bad. I remember telling a guy in class said, praise your dog, praise your dog. And he said, why? He's not doing anything. And I went, precisely. We're here because he lunges on leash and growls. He is not lunging. He's not growling. He's not barking. 
He's not even eyeballing the other dog. He's sitting there looking at you and you are ignoring him. Well, and you say right in your book, you say increasing the good Absolutely. increases the bad. It's so That's obvious. Right in, and it works with any animal. It actually your children was my well, son you know, who came up you, with that, that sentence, which crystallized everything I was trying to say in the book. If you have one command that mm-hmm. the animal will always do, sit, whoa, you know, lie down you have so much control over that animal now because all you're left to do is praise the rest. So, you know, I usually have the dogs take a a short group time out and play. It's amping up too much. So I say all dogs down. And with our dogs, we do it with eight dogs. I mean, just the two of us, we say dogs down. Yep. Let's get a grip. Shall we? Especially you Rover. Yeah. Chill. Okay. All right, dogs ready. (laughs) dogs go play where's a good dog good dog well done well done Fido good and we praise and praise and praise and praise so fast and sometimes I've given six to ten praise words within the first three seconds and it just it's an absolute wonderful philosophy but it took my son to crystallize it you know I mean I could take three hours to say any sentence um because I'm considering all the innuendos and facets of it and, and trying to answer people's questions. No, Jamie, Jamie distilled it for sure. Uh, as an animal actor trainer, I run into this because we'll use, I don't own the dogs I hire. I only have three of my own. So I have to hire a lot of dogs to come be animal actors. And um, so they have basic obedience because to be comfortable and on set, you know, they should know sit, stay, things like that. But what I find is um, I, I do my best not to let the owners work with their dogs. They can watch, but I want to work their dogs because my energy and my intention and my praise, the dogs think this is the best day ever because I keep uh, your tone of voice. When you say, well done, that is releasing energy and intention. And the dog, as you know, of course, feels that. And then of course I have treats that, you know, that he likes. And, uh, I'm so then they, if they do it, they won't reward their dog for sitting there looking cute. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. all he has to do. Right. But they're like, well, he's not exactly what you said. He's not doing anything. And I'm like, he is killing it. He's, he's look at him. He's happy. He's way, he's looking at camera, which is where I'm holding my eye line for, you know, cause he's, he's learned to watch my eyes and my hand. And I, I just like, well done, good boy. You know, and it's, uh, and they go, you, Sometimes they get like, oh, people are watching me. I feel silly. I'm like, the dog doesn't care. He needs to hear mm-hmm. that enthusiasm, that excitement, that like, because then we get a, a happy dog. I don't want to have a dog on set that's not happy because it's not fair to the dog. I wouldn't put him through it. You know, he's got to be acclimated and be happy. And uh, we get great performances because the dogs are having a blast. And you try training a cat. And if you try to have negative emotions right. around a cat, you are, there is no you know, cause I train cats or work with cats. It's their idea and they're having a good time and they feel the same thing. Mm-hmm. Good, you know, good cat. Oh, well done you. And you can see the cat. I mean, you know, sit up and put, you know, yes, I am. And the same thing with a horse and I keep going back to it, but the same thing with a child, uh, you know, reward what you want. Yeah. It's I, I think the, I mean, animal exactly acting right. is, um, it's one of my favorite professions because, and these are things that a lot of animal actor want to be owners don't realize number one your dog has to have a bomb proof temperament he can't be fearful afraid exactly. of anything because he's in a very spooky place he's in a film set 
and all sorts of things happen. There's unexpected noises and a lot of people there. Number two, the precision in terms of timing and place. So the director will tell you, well, I want the dog to walk in here, stop, look around, come up to this place, hold his paw up, and then lie down and look exhausted exactly. on cue. And, and so it's real yeah. precision training with you out of sight. And then you're working on all sorts of facial, uh, what I like to do, Suzanne Clothier taught me this. We, we had a, I do a lot in, mm. in lectures where I get people to pretend they're dogs and other people in class train them. And she was picked to get me to pay attention. And I, and she knew it. I was going to misbehave big time. I was going to jump up on her. I was going <laughs> to hump someone else in class, you know, and I couldn't. <laughs> the way she trained me and what she did was she said, are you watching me, Ian? Are you watching me? She started moving like this. And I was oh, sure. mesmerized. Yeah. And I, I immediately stole that technique for teaching very lengthy stays when you want the dog to follow your head round. You know, you keep like you're a snake charmer. And um, so mm. it, it's a huge thing. And it's, um, I mean, it's the same as a, like assistance dogs. It amazes me the dogs that people bring and say, oh, I wanted to be assistance dog or a, a facility dog for children or what have you. And you think, Mm -hmm. dog's scared to be just here you can't do this because it takes a lot for your trained commands then to even get through to the dog for them to acknowledge that you right. spoke yeah because he has to be comfortable so it, it oh it's, it's wonderful no and exactly. we cats said if you want no, to be no, a good I, dog trainer teach a cat to come and heal yeah, well, it's <laughs> that's really true because um, cats have their own agenda. Well, that, well that's where you know people should with. realize you know, that um, this was I. I was slightly at odds when I did my dog workshop with horses because I trained horses the same way as I trained dogs. Low reward training. When you train cats the same way, so mm -hmm. for your cat listeners out there, you read my book and you cross out the word dog or puppy and put in cat or kitten. We have always had cats exactly. with better recalls than the dogs in our home. And the reason is, as soon as you get outside, the cats can come in a straight line. They just climb over a wall, jump down, up a tree, take a shortcut. You know, dogs have to go round. Mm -hmm. yep. And we used to do this with demos. You know, I, I had a film crew from Japan once and they said, well, where are your dogs? I said, oh, they're around. I said, dogs, cats, come. And the two cats were sitting in front of right. us before the dogs ever got there. And they didn't think <laughs> that was, they wouldn't film the cats. It was like, no, we've come here to film your dogs. And I thought that would be so cool to see the cats come first. And then the cats are oh, there yeah. as the dogs doing uh, their routines. The cats are like going under them to get a back rub or rubbing up against them, you know. Exactly. Yeah, but well, they are. There's, there's a number dogs, of right. species which together. I love, um, because you, you can't do this stupid alpha stuff with them. You do it once, and you've lost the animal no. and the pupil for life. And when you move up, once you get to the bear stage, like grizzly bears, 
I mean, how do you think they train grizzly bears? We're going to grab him by his grizzly bear cheeks and give him an alpha row and say, bad bear. <laughs> Roll him on no, the ground, yeah. No, no, I don't train as bears. but Did I know what you're talking about. Know? I'll tell you, the rewards are primarily verbal. Good bear, good butt, slapping him on the back, a marshmallow or a better behavior. A and jelly. when they knock it, when they absolutely get it right, a unopened can of Coke. And they catch it and go <laughs> and get the biggest sugar rush they've ever had. I'm being serious. Yeah. No, the bear trainer that I did know, because I don't do exotics, I don't hire them anymore. But back when I did, um, it was jelly donuts. It was like yeah. a squeeze jar of jelly. You know, it was marshmallows. You're right. And it, it was a big, uh, a big bear. But uh, no, it's different, a little bit different. But yeah, there's no one's going to argue no. with the bear, you know. <laughs> so no, I get it. I get it. No, that's cool. Um, let's talk about other species, because uh, I, I'm purposely um, using my cow yeah, mug today because uh, we have a, we, um, I'm a designer, so this is my cow my mug designs, is but, broken. I am uh, so upset. You see it here and uh -oh. here is a big crack. This I'm going to put, I may put the staple in actually. I don't want the mug to fall in too. Actually, I have, um, no uh, crockery up there. That's 250 years old and it has lead staples in it Ooh, where there's cool. cracks. That's how they used to mend it back then. Because it's so soft. And you... yeah. Anyway, I'm going to, yeah, my, my little cup mug is so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, there's your I cow. Know. I can see her now. There she is. Yeah. Um, I uh, I adore cows. I um, As a photographer, um, I've had the oh. pleasure of shooting cows for advertising campaigns. And um, my, I live in dairy Wisconsin. country. I mean, Wisconsin. <laughs> so, you know, I I um, get the, I get to go and hang out at the um, dairy farms if I want to. And my neighbors raise calves and of course yeah. they suck on your fingers and that's like the best coolest sensation but cows uh along like sheep and other herd animals people do not give them credit for how incredibly smart they are and i want to hear about i mean you talk about in your book riding cows uh, when i ran yeah, away I as a little girl when i was up at the lake i went to i ran away because everyone was ignoring me <laughs> i found this dairy farm and the kids had cows there and their parents were gone. And so we rode cows, yeah. we jumped on their backs and rode them around. So I, I share that, but they were not trained. They just, we fell off, but it was really fun. And one of the highlights. Uh, so I want to hear about well, your, it, your love affair you, cows. Well, they're my they are amazing, favorite animal animals. because um, we had a big L-shaped field about, oh, 20 acres. And that's what I saw outside my bedroom window. And you could tell the time by were the cows here or at the corner or were they down there. That's what they did twice a day. And so mm -hmm. they were very good to tell the time. I love them. A story, I'll, tell, I'll tell one story in the book and then one that's not. So um, my grandfather classically conditioned all the animals on the farm and cows and why you may ask, cows are very inquisitive if they're not scared of people they will approach them well in england we have a lot of public um walkways pathways that go through private property so they're allowed to walk mm -hmm. on the footpath and it goes right across their fields and so if someone's doing that the cows are going to see them and slowly walk over well if you don't know cows it looks pretty damn yeah. scary when most of them are black 
you know, a few don't look so scary because they're brown and white, you know, they're Angus Hereford crosses. And so when we would get in our one day old heifers, my grandfather would invite all the kids from the village to teach them to drink from a bucket. Because you see, they've had what one day drinking sure. from a teat and that's lovely and easy. Now they have to stay alive. They've got to drink from a bucket. So you've got to teach them. So we got all the kids to do this. And it was mayhem. You know, we would end up, you know, cow butts the because he's not getting good suction because you haven't got your fingers right, you know, so you can suck it. And then yeah, the milk formula exactly. goes all over you. Then they lick you with their raspy tongue, which is like, it, you know, gets paint mm -hmm. off hardwood or something. And um, I, I asked him years later when I was at vet college, you know, why did you do that, Grant? Why didn't you, you and the farmhands just do it? It would have been so much quicker. And he said, you know, we have open footpaths here, open to anyone. There'll be families, there'll be children, there'll be children misbehaving. I wanted the calves' first impressions of children to be a very pleasant one with the kids covered in milk pie. They're squeaking, screaming all the time. So I thought that was amazingly prescient for someone who left school at 12. But he did it with all the animals, with pigs. And I tell you, with pigs, man, probably the most dangerous. People think it's bulls. No, I think it's a sow right after she's farrowed. You look so fat oh, yeah. lying there like she couldn't move and peaceful. And you hop over, say, to give her a shot of oxytocin or something. And you jump back so fast, you can't believe it. And they come in very low with their dirty teeth, you know, mm -hmm. they don't have their teeth, tusks, yeah. you know, like the males, but oh man, they can deliver a very nasty bite. So he just made all the animals handleable. Um, the other story, this is a training story. And I was lecturing in Puerto Vallarta to the Texas Academy of Veterinarians on cow behavior. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, the audience was just a bunch of disbelievers. Imagine it. These are Texas cow vets. Yeah. They're all wearing, you know, cowboy boots. <laughs> they got hats on, jeans. They all have their feet up on the chair in front of them with their legs crossed and arms folded, leaning back. And what are they going to learn from this 28-year-old, you know, Californian hippie? You know, my hair was down to here. And I was lecturing and I was talking about how Roundup was one of the silliest things I'd ever heard about. I mean, who would take an animal like a herd of cows and let them all loose without any prior training, you know, without even teaching them to come when called? And I said, I would do this. You know, I would drive around the range, how often you do it, you know, every day, twice a day, once a week, whatever, and you pick up. And I would drive, and when I see them, I'd go honk, honk, and then I'd toss off a little bit of silage. Then I'd drive on honk, honk, then a little bit of silage. And honk, honk, then I'd drive away back to the ranch. And uh, that's how I'd always do my inspections. And then when it comes down to, you know, Roundup, you just go out and you pick up. It's centrally heated, for goodness sake, you know. Or you've got air conditioning whenever you're rounding them up and you just drive your pickup going honk, 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 honk. And there's a load of silage in the back, but you don't stop till you get to the ranch. So anyway, I was telling them that. And they obviously would just, there was no facial expression change when I'm talking about cows. Like, 
they don't like walking into dark spaces, neither do horses, neither do pigs and sheep at slaughter. They love yellow. So have increasing, you know, intensity of yellow lights wherever you want to go, like in the back of a horse box. Duh. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer. Right. I got right. a beautiful letter from this this vet. And, and he was a rancher too, you know. He said, Dr. Dunbar, I must admit, when I attended your lecture, I just did it as a joke to see what you could possibly tell me. He said, well, what you said about Roundup made sense. So I did it. Unbelievable. I arrived back at the ranch going, oh, 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 with the whole herd. But because you know how they do it. If one cow will follow you, then the rest will follow generally the one cow. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I love them. It's wonderful. Well, they are, they are. I have a quick cow story. I was photographing a, a Holstein, a beautiful Holstein at her farm, dairy farm. And uh, while they were setting up lights, there was a herd of about 75 to 100 uh, heifers and cows. And I, I wanted to go out and photograph the group. And I said, you guys set up lights. So I didn't bring my assistant. I was out there with just my camera. And of course, I feel really safe around cows. I'm used to body language. You know, there wasn't a bull. And, and so I was, you know, but uh, 75 cows suddenly were very curious mm -hmm. and they kept coming closer and circling me and pressing in because the fat cows wanted to yeah. see what was, who that was because I was a unique person and they're pressing and they were getting closer and closer. And I was like, okay, I think I need to get out of this group without panicking them or scaring them because they will step on you. A horse doesn't want to because you're squishy. A cow will step on you if you're in the way. Uh, if they, you know. So I, that was one of like the most exciting times with cows, but also one of the scariest because I have photos of those cows, you know, 40 heads and bodies coming in closer, closer, closer. And I'm just, oh, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. And trying to just gently to get to the fence line, crawled under the fence line. And now there's 75 cows lined up on the fence line looking at me in perfect formation because they're like, you're so yes. interesting. And and she was like, you didn't go out there alone, did you? Because they usually have a, a gator or yeah. a vehicle, you know, four wheel, you know, ATV or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, I just walked out there and like, oh, you know, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I was grateful that I didn't get excited. They didn't get excited. But it was also really cool because you're right. And that so pressure curious. is, I mean, it happened to me once when, um, I was very young, but looking after a dairy farm I, around animals, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty smart as a kid, not as I am. Normally I'm pretty stupid about things and laugh at everything, but this couple had never <laughs> been on holiday. They only had about 40 dairy cows. I said, why don't you go on holiday, go back to Scotland and I'll stay at the farm, do the milking and feed them. And you know, I'm responsible. And if I have any trouble, I'll call my grandpa. He'll, he'll come round. And it was the second day on my own that Jenny came in and the chain, you know, to chain her up for milking had dropped down. I walked between her and a wall to pick this chain up and she just moved her back foot, put it on my foot and stood there and didn't remove it. And I tried everything. And of course, if Ow. you push, you get thigmotaxis. The harder you push, the more they lean into you. And I, I sort of said, help, help. Yes. I thought, I'm on my own here. And I, I realized that's why huh. you never, when you get in the chain, you always go under the neck and reach for it. And you never, you know, bend, you always keep your rear legs straight. So if they move into you, you fall away from the animal. 
but you don't go between a cow and a wall. And then after about 10 minutes, you know, and I'm saying, Jenny, move, for God's sake, you're hurting me. And I tried twisting her tail, you She's know, things they pounds, do. You know? She looked around at me like this. Yeah. Just chewing <laughs> oh, her cut. And then about, I don't know, seemed like an hour, probably five minutes, 10 minutes, she just took the weight off. <laughs> they don't know their own weight, and you're you, right you, when like, they're in, inquisitive. Did, did, so, did your foot like recover? Oh, or yeah. Is your foot okay? It would because it was so squishy underneath. You know, there's a lot of straw there. Oh, okay. Because, you know, when a horse steps on you, it's kind of sim. I mean, they will move eventually, but you're right. If your horse steps on you, push on yeah. your shoulder, he leans into you. Like it hurts more, you know, so you're better off. Yeah, and it's how you solidify, say, stays in dog training. If you want a, a shy Sheltie to sit boldly, you stroke her from nose over the top of her head, getting more and more pressure, more and more pressure than you push down. If you want a solid stand stay, you go stand, and then you've got to get the head pointed down so the, the luring comes out. And then if you leave it there, the dog will mm -hmm. stand and sit. So you out the stand, then you drop your hand, stay to get its nose down a bit. And then I hold the food there and then I press on the withers. And I sort of go push, 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 mm -hmm. push, 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 push until the forelegs are absolutely solid. Then we go down the back bit by bit right, yeah. until we get to the hips and the butt. And then when you can do this there, push, 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 you've got it now. As I used to tell them, you know, in obedience, now the judge is your double handler in the ring. You see, as they run the hand along ah. the dog's back, what they're actually saying to the dog is stand, stay, stand, stay, stand, stay, stand, stay. So your dog gets really rigid. So thigmotaxis, and, and it's brilliant. one of the major reasons I you know, have against jerking. If the jerking works yeah, with a loose leash to be unpleasant, but once the leash is tight, Jerking only works to train the dog to do exactly what you don't want, to pull against you, to move away. Exactly, yeah. It's like with a bridle and a bit, if you just have constant yeah. pressure, you're going to make a, right. a mouth that gets desensitized to, to the bit and hard. They're going to pull. A horse will always pull. That's why when you're training them to tie, if you tie them solid and fast so they, they pull back and they get pressure, they're going to pull back harder and you break something or hurt themselves or flip over where if you use a tie blocker or some other form where it moves a little bit, a little bit of pressure that they can pull back without that slam, uh, they learn to stand tight because then they yeah. give. I, same um, idea. Well, I, I bought a horse because, um, well, she was going to be glued the next day and I loved her. She had a beautiful mm -hmm. trot. It's like she wasn't moving at all. She's like a Pasafino, you know. It was like you're going skiing, mm -hmm. and, you know. And so I bought her. And she had a great trot, but she had a frisky canter, which is too much for me. I'm not an expert horseman. I only learned to ride because I was a vet. And by law back then, you had to treat every animal. That means I could be around horses ah. and horsey people. And, I, you know, so I, I learned to ride. So one day with pudding, she was called Black, what was it? Black Forest or something. Her name, I changed it to Pudding, Black Pudding. Because she looked like a pudding, right? So one day, um, mm -hmm. and she, when I bought her, she was uncatchable in a stool. Well, that as a dog trainer, that took me, what, 20 minutes? It really simple. I just went in there right. and I had some little um, 
briquettes of um, oh god, I can't remember what, what you call them now. Pardon? Alfalfa pellets or something or treats? Alfalfa. Alfalfa, yeah, alfalfa you know, or treats. Cut them. Yeah. Actually sawed them so they didn't splinter into like quarters and a little bit a dash of peppermint mm -hmm. and a little bit of molasses. And so I just stood there with them mm. and waited. She came up to me, I gave her one. Then I walked to a different corner. She came up to I kept one. And then I had a, a dog leash actually. And from underneath, I flipped it around her neck, said, gotcha, briquette, briquette, briquette. And she said, cool, I like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then we had a recall on her very quickly, but I thought I'm gonna do the same with her gates because my legs are hopeless, you know, for communicating to a horse. It's like, you know, knees come in, then toes go out. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. I can't multitask mm -hmm. with toes and heels and knees and, and hips. <laughs> so I, I trained her uh, on the ground like a, a dog off leash. And yes. I had picked some of the greenest grass you've ever seen over the other side of the fence. And I had it in my hand and I was mm -hmm. feeding her and off, take it, thank you, like a dog. And then, whoa. Okay. And then walk. And we walked and then trot. Sure. I was already fit then. So the horse is trotting along, you know, changing gait and then walk and whoa. So we had three gears and then I went on a fourth for a canter, which I could only do for about 10 yards because it was too fast for me to run. And then I went round and I put a pleasure spot on the right side of her neck because most people approach horses on the left and the right side yes. is a good side. It's not poisoned. So as a vet, I always went up to the right side of horses. I remember horsey people used to think it's weird. I said, look, bad stuff hasn't happened from here, but good stuff is going to. So I would right. touch her yeah. on the neck and hand feed her. Touch, feed, touch, feed. Well, this spot I can now tap from the saddle. Good pudding, word I'm pudding, tap, tap, mm. tap. And I got on the horse the next day and my trainer's looking at me and I got my position right. Like I'm in an armchair sitting up straight, like I did ballet. So I got my hands nicely like in ballet form, uh -huh. you know, yep. like ballet, one and a half, you know, halfway between this and this. Reins in my hand, wrap round, pinky and stuff. I said, pudding, walk. <laughs> <laughs> then pudding, trot. Good pudding, good pudding. And she just shook her head. She said that it worked. And the other thing I found out was, and you probably know this, because when you're getting dogs to form associations, you give a verbal command and then you lure. So I say pudding walk, and then the lure moves away from her because I'm walking with it, right? To make that association. Right. Uh, pudding walk, and the lure is going to move away, therefore I walk. Um, takes most dogs about 12 repetitions. I have known dogs that have taken 20 mm -hmm. and I had a couple of dogs that took about 50 to 100 repetitions. Border collars often take three. Horses take three. Horses yes. learn it so quickly. They learn good oh, yeah. and bad in three. I mean, they look good behavior. Well, the learning bad the bad behavior bit this, this is brings usually up a good... to do with people using aversive stimuli in training. And the first thing they learn is when you can't hurt me, i.e. if I raise myself up in the air and paddle my front legs, if I run away from you, exactly. if I buck, 
and then run away from you. They learn all these things. Now I'm pain-free. Oh, I called it pain-free horse training people. They learn how to stop training. And, and some of them, and, and we get this in dogs too, learn helplessness, um, like the mastiff that just stands still. Yes. The golden retriever just flops down, said, I've had it. They would call That's it a shutdown. The horses will shut down. And, and but you can have aggressive do shutdowns too where the horse says, you try that once mm -hmm. more, you're off. But you have to realize this yeah. is not a bad horse that needs to be broken. You taught the horse that. It's doing it. No, there's a saying, horses have, there's a saying that horses are only do what they've been taught to do or allowed to do. You know, so that's kind of a, an old axiom. And allowed to, to do, to do allowed they've to do. allowed. And so when I, you see, the, people don't understand what the word domesticated but, means. A domestic animal is not fully domesticated until it's socialized with people because it's that's i mean right. that's like the definition of it just because it's a horse doesn't mean to say it's a domestic animal if you let it grow up on its own it will no. become flighty and scared of people especially unfamiliar people making loud noises and sudden movements if you socialize it during the mm -hmm. first 48 hours it is now a domesticated animal and you won't have to do with all these bad things that you think is in the heart of the horse. Oh, no, you know, we have to break him of these habits. No, the, yeah. If yeah. you handled him, he wouldn't have these habits. If as a foal, you walked him around with a, you know, half a sack of wheat on his back, he'd be ready for someone to lumber up and sit there, you know, and people just don't think ahead. What will this animal have to do when it's grown up? How do we want it? To misbehave and they're very deceptive because a foal is it's harmless puppies are harmless and puppies appear to be overly friendly and overly socialized mm -hmm. but no that's because you're only seeing them socializing with the same person you you want to make sure it's going to be confident with unfamiliar people and dogs oh absolutely uh, we do that we do that with um when i get i don't my cats don't have kittens, so when I need something, I will go adopt some some more kittens because I don't. Otherwise, you know, so we can. There's always kittens that need homes. We take those kittens everywhere because how on earth can oh, I yeah. expect him to be a studio cat and learn how to be comfortable in the studio if I don't take him everywhere I go and have him play with other people, get treats from other people, get pet from other people, and learn to not be afraid? Because people say my cat could be a model, and I'm like, well, maybe he does these things at home. But the minute you get him in a studio where he can see everything around him is a stimulus and he gets frightened because he can't, he doesn't know any, it's not familiar. And the same thing when we get a new dog um, and we had a, we got a dog during COVID, um, but that dog went everywhere with us and uh, we just made sure to get him out, you know, as around as many people as possible outside, you know, as safely as we could, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, he's one of my best mm -hmm. acting dogs. He has the most fun, loves everything, every other animal, every other dog, He's a collie, border collie yeah. mix, which is to me heaven. <laughs> so, but I know what you're saying. Well, I understand what, what you're saying. Sorry. I wanted to ask you. No, I was going to say so this go is what veterinarians oh, should please. be telling yeah. everyone that, you know, when they get their eight week old, so it's two thirds through critical period of socialization for dogs and cats, but we got a month, um, socialize it nonstop, invite people to your home or take it for carry it in public 
crate it in public, cart it in public, or car ride. People don't realize that you can socialize cats and dogs to almost anything by having them in a car crate. And for the really big dogs, it can be in the back of the car. So you can go to a car park and a shopping center, open your boot flap. It never mm-hmm. sniffs the ground where the danger of infectious, you know, infectious diseases are. And you could right. sell puppy kisses a dollar each or kitty kisses. Because <laughs> everybody always yeah, wants to come It's really important with cats because I think they never leave the house. And then one day they're feeling poorly and the owner catches them, frightens them, puts them in a crate, mm-hmm. frightens them, puts them in the car, and then takes them to the vet clinic where a stranger is going to pull them out and examine them. This must be so stressful. And that's what you shouldn't be doing to a sick animal. You should have trained your animal. No, and you could Like when somebody. they pull up in the vet clinic parking park, they think, yep, mum and pop's treat dispensary. Oh, yeah. No, my my cats like um, chicken or turkey. And uh, that's the reward for, you know, all these behaviors. I learned um, uh, I've, I've learned that if when you have a cat in your house, sorry, I know it's about no, dogs, but the principles are the same. And say the cat's annoying you. The cat's doing something. Cat's being a cat, but it's annoying. The behavior seems to be annoying because he's being a cat. You don't want him around. You grab him. People do this. Grab the cat and throw him in another room or throw him downstairs or throw him outside, right? Literally pick him up and throw him, you know, or not throw him, but like open the door, put him out. What has he learned? When you grab me, you take me away from you who I want to be with because if the cat socializes, he wants to be around. So then like every time you pick him up, something negative happens. And then they go, well, my cat's not cuddling. He won't let me pick him up. Well, because every time you've picked him up, something bad happens. I use turkey Mm -hmm. like here, we're going to go in your crate for a while. Here's the follow the jump up, jump up, get the treat, yummy content. We're going to go here. We're going to go. We're going to go downstairs because I can't have all of you here right now. So I'm going to open the door. They all run down the steps. Look at me. Yum, 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 yum. You know, it's like so then when I go to pick them up, it's always pleasant. Mm -hmm. We're going to have a nice purr. We're going to be have attention. And the same principle with the dog. If I grabbed his collar and dragged him around, what what why would he learn anything good from that? Whereas if I go, here's. You know, here's something that you enjoy, your kibble, whatever. We can go in your crate. Like even now, my trained dogs, I'll still throw a little bit of kibble in the crate because um, it's like, you know, crate time. We're going to have crate time now. There you go. Here's your little bit. And they're like happy and content. No whining, no fussing. And they'll do that everywhere because yeah, they're socializing. I think cats especially so, always say to people, you know, you are, well, we are very lucky that domestic cats don't come in the same sizes as domestic dogs because the life of most cat owners would be over that fast. So now thinking about the cat's feelings, (laughs) we must handle them. We've got to get them to be floppy, like a stuffed toy, so that when you take it to the vet, um, we just use verbal commands. We say, do, and hop, he jumps, used to jump on the exam table, stand. He won't move, and then we can examine most of the animal, and then we jump in on the floor and say, bang, he's on his back like this. So you can then examine the other side and we do it with <laughs> cats too. Sure. And then they really learn to love the chest scratch. It's mesmerizing for them. And when they've had enough, they'll tell you, they'll just take your hand in their two paws oh, they'll tell you. and then you stop and you only need to stop for four seconds. And then they pour you again. I need more now, you know, otherwise they get overstimulated. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got to desensitize right. the, I call them subliminal bite triggers. So 
these are the 13 most common reasons why a dog or cat would bite you. And so number one, we have to exactly. tone down the force of the bite by teaching bite inhibition by playing with the cat and letting it mouth our fingers and the dog right. too, so we can give feedback while it's got weak jaws but pointed teeth and to make sure it understands that it bites hurt us before they develop big old blunt teeth and very powerful jaws. Especially in a cat well, too, yeah. because a cat, a cat bite can be pretty infectious. So, you know, that when you get bit by a cat, you better watch that because yeah. it can be pretty infectious. But my kittens learn, my kittens learn when we're playing with them, uh, the bite inhibition. I know exactly what you're talking about where they, they nibble and then you teach them that that's, you're telling me something, okay? But this this is too much. This is enough. Whatever. I, so none of my cats bite. I mean, they're lovely to handle. I, I, when I came over here in '71, I uh, had no money because you could only take 300 pounds out of England. So I had nothing, you know. And mm. um, luckily, someone took pity on me, a primatologist, and she said, "Ian, do you would you like to house sit?" I said, "What's house sitting?" They said, "Well, these people are going to Africa." to um, look at baboons and they need someone to look after their Malamute and their cat. And they kind of liked the idea you were a mm -hmm. veterinarian. And I said, yeah, and you can drive their car. Oh, that's cool. And they'll pay you. So I became a professional house sitter <laughs> only for people in the hills who were going away for more than six months. So this was the first time I'd been housed with a cat. Gina was an indoor cat. I'd never had that. All our cats were um, indoor, outdoor cats, including mm -hmm. the farm cats. And, um, and of course, they had a longer life expectancy because of the farm dogs, that all the nasty things that were coming around to mess with the cats, the dogs would you know, take them out. And this right. cat would go ballistic at 10 a.m. And it would climb up a vertical beam and then run along the beams on the ceiling, hanging like, like this, mm -hmm. maniacal, you know, <laughs> and then it would, um, it, it just, it was crazy. So I didn't know what to do. Normally I would have said, oh, go outside and do that, you know, catch a rat or something. And so what I did was I had a little flashlight. They didn't have laser lights back then. And it had a really pinpoint beam and, you know, cat, cat toy. And I would lead it away mm -hmm. into the kitchen. And when it's in the kitchen, I would pull a string and the kitchen door would close. <laughs> and then I felt bad about it. <laughs> so I eventually learned if you can't beat them, join them. So at five to 10, what I would do is I had a little um, ball, like a um, racquetball, actually a squash ball, a little smaller, mm -hmm. with feathers on it on the end of a fishing line. And at five sure. to 10, I would sit in the armchair in front of the fire and flick this up the carpeted stairs, you know, whoosh, and the cat would go, what a room, and then, whoosh, mm -hmm. and, the cat, and I would do this for about five minutes. And then at 10 o'clock, the cat would be, <laughs> so we let it have its activity <laughs> period on the cushioned stairs, you know, mm -hmm. but the cat got what it wanted. I got what I wanted. So it's, um, there's always a solution sure. when I think you see it from the animal's point of view, that what we define as a behavior problem, the dog would define as my favorite activities, like running away, being chased, chasing, oh, sure. um, 
cat eating cat poop, um, going crazy in the middle of the morning, in the middle of the evening, you know, for cats nocturnally, they are nocturnal animals. I mean, that's what they love doing. Mm -hmm. And to deny them that, well, barking. We always did barkathon up on the balcony, five o'clock every evening, glasses of wine for Kelly and I. And when we'd go, whoop, 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 whoop. And then the dogs would start. <laughs> and we had a hound dog too. Can you imagine that? You're like, Ooh. And it yeah. went right across the, I'm like in a great big foresty ball. So I can't see any houses from my house, but they're there in the trees. Mm -hmm. And people in the flatlands of Berkeley must have heard this plaintive howling with three dogs, not knowing it was started by Kelly and oh. I. They probably thought, do you think those dogs can tell time? Why do they always howl at 5 p.m.? Because we oh. die for a glass of wine, that's why. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Everybody's trained. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Well, this has been really amazing. Um, we're so grateful uh, that you took the time to speak with us today. Um, I imagine you know, your book comes, your, by the time this comes out, your book will be out because your book comes out early December of 2023. Comes out 5th of December. Yeah. You can buy the book. Right. And the title of the book I wanted barking uh, is, up the right tree. Uh, barking yeah. up the right tree. The right tree. Barking up the right tree. Yep. And um, I imagine that you can find that book already uh, anywhere online, they sell books. All the big right, online, online retailers. I would like to mention another thing. We have just, um, well, just, it actually happens on the 2nd of de December. Mm -hmm. We are resuscitating a program that we've had for 20 years now. And that's where Serious Puppy Training, my company, um funded right. this program gonna ask about because it. that's always been a steady good income you know we have 25 puppy training schools all in the bay area and we would give away two free books before you get your puppy after you get your puppy to every humane society shelter in the bay area so that this is oh the bay wow. area okay. uh, is probably the highest mm -hmm. earning state <laughs> just the bay area in the whole of the US, it's its own country. Um, to every participating vet clinic, we had about 100. Um, to pet stores, we mm -hmm. had very few of those. And anyway, they got boxes of these books and I published them, so they weren't very, they're only 99 cents a piece. Um, but I would deliver mm -hmm. these boxes of books and then it got too much because we had too many people who wanted the free books to give to. So they went to vets and pet stores because that's where people went when they got the first day they got their puppy. And um, then when okay. we went digital, oh, and then we started shipping them, but it cost so much money. It cost five times the shipping than the price mm. of the book. So I capped it at about, right. you know, 200 places we were delivering to. Then we went digital and thinking, great, now it's ebooks. But it dropped off. It fell out of favor because pet stores and veterinary clinics huh. were total Luddites when it came to websites. They, they were the last people to, you know, oh, okay. um, shelters were on board still because they knew, um, whatever. Anyway, so we're starting it again with a vengeance. And my goal is within a year oh, that's to reach critical mass so that every prospective puppy owner knows about these two books before they get the puppy. 
So here's the deal. Um, anyone can download these books for free now from DunbarAcademy.com. And the link you need is Dunbar.info backslash free pup books. One word. So Dunbar.info. Fantastic. We'll, we'll put, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes too. People will be able to a, see it right on the bit notes. Link. It'll come up with the URL and take you there. And not only can you download these two books for free, and it's very quick. You go click one book, click another book. Mm -hmm. Then I just yeah. say a little sentence and say, and also we have another gift. So this is for your listeners. If they go down to the third click, they can access all of the mm -hmm. Top Dog Academy. I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of hours for free oh, my. for a month. That's so fantastic. you get a one Fan month free subscription fantastic. to the Top Dog Academy. So spread the word. So when you get these books, share them with every doggy owner you know, because someday they might get another puppy. If you hear someone's getting a puppy, please oh, spread the books like around. I want to get critical mass within the year. I think perfectly doable. Oh, I agree. And what I said in the very beginning, dogs are yeah. going to be better for this. This is going to make and dogs' owners lives, lives as well. That, I mean, that exactly because it's hand in hand. But it just does my heart well to hear that you're sharing this with so many, and we will do our you, best to spread know, the word too. Yeah, but you keep this will mentioning dogs. children a lot. And um, yeah, we're in the doggy world and the cow world, but. I personally do a lot of the dog stuff for people. And by that, I mean, I mm -hmm. find it very sad sometimes that I don't think people get the joy of dog ownership or living with a dog as much as I do. Um, but what this really is about is all this stuff works with all animals, people included. Well, we, we, are, are, mammals. we are mammals. See, and, humans are um, animals. My favorite... So... Um, animal um, is my son Jamie and he runs the company now and you can ask him a question if you don't believe what mm -hmm. I say next we have never had an argument it goes without saying I've never laid my hand on him for <laughs> anything never grabbed him I've laid my hand on him gently because he was going to step into the street when we're walking off leash when he was younger or to hug him um, but we have never had an argument I, I don't see why we should. We have disagreements, especially now we work together. And my response is always, Jamie, mm -hmm. these are not mutually exclusive. You do it your way, I do it mine. We see which one works the best. And that's what we're doing right now. I've changed our free book download. It used to be a rigmarole to get them. You had to do this and that and mm. give your email. And now it's just click, the book's yours. Click the books yours. And, well, we will, and then we'll the share third the links click, for sure. you get to see what we're really about. Hundreds of you can binge watch, it would take you five months to go through. This is a big site. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's that's great. So Barbara, Fantastic. it has been wonderful and a joy to speak about uh, horses and, and cats, um, and of course cows as well as dogs. I love them all. I love <laughs> cows for sure. I, I, I think people have a training gets a bad rap. They say, oh, it's cruel to train an animal. You know, I say, no, training an animal in my book is teaching an animal ESL. So it clearly understands what we're asking right. it to do. 
in normally spoken sentences. So like I mentioned Jamie, so one of my favorite sentences in the book is with Jamie. It's Phoenix, come here and sit. Come means come and sit. Phoenix, come, take this, go to Jamie, please. Malamute male. She would run notes. (laughs) Go and find him and deliver a note in the garden. That's what training is about, to open communication channels so animals aren't accused of misbehaving. No, that's this is this has been so informative. I I just uh, wish I could follow you around and, and just absorb. Well, you never know. I might come fantastic. out and take a cow I'm grateful to our. North. Well, I can I can show you all of the cows. <laughs> We've got them all here, and they're all wonderful. Uh, like I said, they're my favorite thing to photograph as well. Um, again, thank you so much. Um, we're going to be wrapping this up. Uh, all of. Uh, of uh, Dr. Barnard's, or sorry, Dr. Dunbar's information will be uh, in the in the links to all of this. This will be on YouTube. This will also be on you know, all of Apple, Spotify, any place you get a podcast. Again, we're grateful. And and we'll so thank um, you obviously let Jamie know when it is released, and we'll give the old podcast a boost too on, on our social media. Oh, thank yeah, you. There's no point me doing this if we don't then both promote it. Yeah. Start to my day. I'm now I'm taking the day off. I'm going in the garden. Um, well, to garden. There you go. 